This is Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master, creating products customers love. Get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad. Thank you for joining me on your journey towards product mastery once again. Today, we're going to be dissecting how a product came into being, examining it from that initial you know, idea, the problem that may have been discovered through development and then to launch. I, I love these product journey stories. That I think they help us as product managers think about sometimes in other industries how products work, and that helps us do a better job as well. So I hope you find that helpful joining us on this product journey and sharing his product journey with this uh, specific product we'll get into is Mark Atkins. He's the co-founder and CEO of Lean Med. They're a medical device company for the medically underserved regions of the world. And he's also an adjunct professor teaching product innovation for the University of Pittsburgh. He's been there for quite some time. And he has has had a lifetime of experiences in a variety of product management roles. Uh, great depth to learn from. As a reminder, if you hear anything that you want to go back to and see more information on that, we do take detailed written notes for everything we talk about. We also prepare a one-page action guide for you to put into action immediately any insights that come out of the interview that we think should go into that action guide. You'll find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 369. I hope you check them out. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Chad. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So you are a repeat guest. You've been on before talking about innovation. And now you got yourself involved in in this company that you're the CEO of LeanBed. And this is a great opportunity for us to learn from your journey on that. So we'll we'll go back to the beginning in a moment and start kind of you know finding out where this all came from. But let us know kind of the end of the story, at least where the story is now. What was the problem that you uncovered, and and tell us what is the product at this point in time? Yeah, what I think I want your listeners to know and understand, and you see this quite a bit in product development. Many times people come up with an idea, and you know they're just convinced that this you know this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then as you dig into it, it's like. Well, does anybody really care? I've been involved in a lot of projects like that, and you end up saying, you know what, this really isn't a problem we're solving. At Lean Med, we're very confident that the problem we're trying to solve is, is very significant. Pediatric pneumonia is the number one killer of children in the world. 800,000 children will die this year from pneumonia. For most of your listeners that live in the developed worlds, the higher income nations, you, you, I would imagine you're a bit shocked by that because you think, well, pneumonia, yeah, nobody likes getting it, you know, and it's kind of a, a pain, but, but you don't die from it. Well, the truth is you, you do die from it if you're, particularly if you're a child living in the developing world. 99% of those deaths happen in the lower income nations. So that's a terrible problem. A lot of children dying. And one of the primary causes is lack of access to medical oxygen. So our solution to move from problem to solution is a solar-powered oxygen production system we call the O2 cube. And there have been clinical studies, now a number of them, that demonstrate if we can make medical oxygen available to these children, we can cut the mortality rate by a third. So hmm. we, we think we have a significant mission in front of us. And, uh, you know, we're, we're excited and, and passionate about the journey that we're on to bring medical oxygen. The numbers roughly work out to about 1.2 billion people around the world are living in areas because of lack of grid electricity and medical 
infrastructure that do not have access to medical oxygen. So if they contract pneumonia, they're, they're, they have a high probability of dying. So a, a clear problem, right, that this is a life-changing problem because we are saving lives of kids that otherwise would be dying from uh, pneumonia complications. So th- th- this is a pretty good story then to dive into more, uh, certainly an important one to bring to the world with this product. L- let's go back to the beginning and h- how you kind of got engaged with this, right? So at-, at the beginning of any product, there's some some ideation that takes place, right? We uncover a problem and we go, oh, we can maybe help with that. We, we have an idea, we have an insight that there- there's some genesis of-, of the idea to lead us forward. What was that for you? So, as you mentioned, I teach uh, a course called Managing Medical Product Innovation at the University of Pittsburgh. Mm. And I had a medical student in my class who, as part of a school exercise, traveled to Malawi, Africa. And he's a medical student, but he took my bioengineering course because he had an interest in, in innovation and product development. But he went to Malawi and he, and he saw firsthand the, the, the kids that were dying and what, what a problem this was. So, his name is James Newton. And he came back inspired to do something about it. So he recruited some of his classmates and formed a team. Back then, it was called Team Oxygen. And because I was their professor and knew them, I became the mentor. And we entered into a uh, competition, a entrepreneurial competition that the University of Pittsburgh runs a tremendous program called Blast Furnace. And so we entered in and we won. We took first place uh, in the competition, earned $10,000. And with that $10,000, we started LeanMed LLC back in May of 2018. So this competition, first it was just seeing this firsthand, right? So James saw saw this problem going on. Being a medical student also was, you know, probably wired to want to address this Mm -hmm. problem, right? I think a lot of us would be even without that. He's in the innovation course too. Student team needs a project. Here's a project to actually work on. So probably got a lot of energy around that for the student team. Went to a, a event to compete for funding. And, and I hear this story more times than not. And I think people might just not be aware of it, right? Because I, I follow uh, startup stories as well. And how many times that people on their startup journey got funding through a competition, right? Or even the idea came out of some weekend hackathon event, but they went to competitions as a way to fund that the initial work. This provided some validation mm-hmm. that the team was on the right track. What point are we now at that competition? Was there a prototype? Was there a functional prototype? What was it? That, was there just no, a concept that no. was described? There was a concept that was described. There was a concept that was described, which was, again, this solar-powered micro-oxygen production system. And one of the things, one of the, I think, part of our strategy, not right away, but pretty early on, we, we, were, we felt we were in a race to get to the market. And as everyone knows, if you, if you create a brand new medical device, there's, there's quite a regulatory pathway, time and money to get there. So our, our goal, and this is really embedded now in the DNA of the company, we're not a research company. We're an innovation company. And by that, what I mean, and, and you'll hear more about what we've done, we look for technology that exists today that's proven, that's in the, quote, developed high-income world. And through innovation and through strategic licensing agreements, we can then bring that healthcare, that medical device, if you will, to the developed, to the developing world. 
So what, what we did, Philips Healthcare, their oxygen business is headquartered here in Pittsburgh. I worked with them for a number of years on a consulting basis and knew the team here in Pittsburgh where, where, where I live and where the team is. And they donated us an oxygen, what's called an oxygen concentrator and an oxygen compressor. So we had a donate, we were able to get a donation from Philips and, and, and then through the team, the student team, we were able to buy solar panels and buy some electrical equipment. And it's a true story. In my garage, we built the first prototype, put a solar panel on the roof of my house, and we were able, you know, to, to then get operational, a functional prototype. So with some of the money, we did some early design work with a local design firm. We did some branding and got our website up and going. We, and we got the donation from Philips to build that first functional prototype in my garage. So we were pretty quickly, you know, filling oxygen cylinders. So this, this device actually is, does not connect directly to the patient, but it's a filling station, what's called an oxygen filling station. So we're filling cylinders and then the cylinders, you know, are used to provide oxygen to the patient. So that was the next phase of our journey was to take the, the blast furnace money get incorporated, get a website up, get the donation from Philips and build a functional prototype in, in my garage. Okay. So I, I love the garage story, right? All good startup stories often have no, a garage story. Too, too tempting. <laughs> That's right. We have to build this in the garage. This is a quick break to thank you for listening and to give you 10 hard-earned recommendations that will help you advance as a product manager and be recognized as a product leader. They are based on insights I've learned after working with many product professionals like you in several organizations, helping them advance using my Rapid Product Master Experience, or the RPM Experience. You can apply the first recommendation in just five minutes, and it will change how you think about the work you do, and also increase your confidence at the same time. I shared it with a leader at Dell Computers when she asked how they can create a more innovation-oriented culture. I also used it to help a startup founder reframe their value proposition. And a marketing manager applied it when she was interviewing for a product role. Not only did she get the job, she also nearly doubled her salary in the process. All that from just the first recommendation. Now, a lot of people have already downloaded the recommendations, and I don't want you to miss out if you haven't done it yet. They're all in a PDF titled, 10 Changes Product Teams Should Make Now to Consistently Launch Products Customers Love. Easily get it by going to productmasterynow.com slash love, that's L-O-V-E, love, because the recommendations will help you better create products that customers love. Don't get passed by others that are already using the recommendations to advance their career. You deserve to advance too. Go to productmasterynow.com slash love and get the recommendations. One important point here is we had the problem, we, we had the idea, you know, a very meaningful problem in the world. People are concerned about kids dying, and we want to solve this problem. So this has has a lot a lot of grit and, and, and a lot of emotional appeal. But you could have gone gone other directions, right? Like like you know, just recognizing what is kind of the purpose of our organization, kind of maybe forming that into the culture there that you're not a research company or an innovation company. And you looked around and said, okay, is there something that can help solve this problem now that could work? Exactly. So that, that, that's one good takeaway for product managers is, and frankly, that this is one that I did, did not appreciate earlier in my career because I'm, I'm an engineer and I like building things, right? Yeah. And it's like, no, of course we're going to build it. Why, why would we look around to see if something else is out there? Um, 
But this is. And if I could add, I think yeah. we took a, quite a bit of flack, I'll call it, in the beginning because of this entrepreneurial ecosystem that we have here in Pittsburgh. Hmm. You know, every first, second question, well, you know, what's your problem? What's your solution? Where's your IP? And we kind of shrugged our shoulders and said, well, there's not really IP. You know, we're taking off the shelf technologies and we're just integrating them in a, in a clever way because what you're dealing with is the infrastructure. You're dealing with these problems environmental, right? You have heat, humidity, rodents, insects, lack of training, lack of tech support. So we, we couldn't take the device as is and just ship it to, in this case, sub-Saharan Africa, like Uganda or Kenya or, or Nigeria. And, the, and there's tons and tons of documentation on the failure equipment that was designed for Western, call it Western or developed nation environments that fail. And there's just graveyards of these medical devices laying around. So we were, so we still required modification, but it didn't reach the hurdle that we could, we could patent it. What we did do though, and what is a competitive advantage for us now is we went to Philips and the compressor side of the unit, they no longer manufacture it. And it, there's a, a little story there. If we have time, I can tell you. But they discontinued the compressor product and we're no longer manufacturing it. But it was fundamental to the operation right. of the O2 cube. So this year we entered into a global licensing agreement with Philips Healthcare. And we have now the right around the world to both manufacture and sell what they call the ultrafill, which is the compressor. So, so in my mind, strategic licensing agreements mm-hmm. can be lower risk, lower cost, and faster to market. So why go invent something new if I can find and an OEM that wants to make a difference? Philips has you know a, a mission as well, you know, in their corporate uh, goals to save lives and to bring healthcare to the developing world. So the alignment on mission was there. They they. We're very, very friendly to us. Yeah, in that, that was agreement. a good partner then. Yeah, then they're, and they're, they're an excellent partner and in every way want to see us succeed. So it's nice to know you've got a big, big corporation kind of behind you, encouraging you and, and licensing their technology to you. Yeah, and that's very important when we're looking for partners, that there's more to the partnership than just some kind of technology provided. There has to be a win for both parties and some cultural alignment, some mission alignment is really useful. And there's some other companies that have done really well with such strategic license agreements. Apple essentially comes out of that realm, right? When Steve Jobs was pushed out of Apple and went to Next, started Next Computers, that was really about how, how do you get a bunch of high-end equipment into a small box and create a better capability out of the synergies, not out of creating new things. And he did very little R&D at Apple, right? They're, they're, under Steve Jobs, they were largely an integrator of existing technologies that, in ways that were more appealing to all of us. So a good partner there with, with Philips, good example of a, a strategic partnership. How, you talked a little bit about just the environment, right? And, and there is graveyards of medical equipment around. And one of my first times with this, I think it was Steve Johnson that wrote the book, Where Good Ideas Come From. I might be mm-hmm. this close. And he talks about the baby incubator, right? In, in third world countries, newborns that are premature often die simply because there aren't incubators available. You know, so the medical team from America goes over to solve this problem and they deliver this wonderful medical incubator that no one can maintain and doesn't last long. And another team builds an incubator basically off of a, it was some Toyota pickup truck, 
I, I forget mm-hmm. which one, but they said they, they noticed in their during the research in every town they went to, there were these Toyota trucks that were 40 years old that were still running. So someone knows how to keep them running. So they used equipment, right? The headlights mm-hmm. to warm and the battery and, you know, they used equipment yep. from the trucks to make this. How did you know of all the ways one could bring oxygen to undeveloped areas of the world that you were on the right track, that you had something that could be, that would work for them? Yeah, I think that we, um, through a number of a number of avenues, one of the best was a group called the Every Breath Counts Coalition. It's run by uh, an Australian woman, Leith Greenslade, who lives in New York City. And it's called the Every Breath Counts. We joined that coalition. Every Monday, 11 a.m., Leith runs this big Zoom room, but no video, just just audio. And there's almost always over 100 people on that call from all around the world, from all the NGOs like Gates and Ch- uh, Clinton and WHO and UNICEF, as well as some of the major OEMs like a Philips or an Air Liquide or so Lee. So it was a matter of plugging ourselves into this community that was fighting pediatric pneumonia and through that make introductions to people in Kenya, Uganda, Nigeria, Senegal and, and essentially perform customer discovery and talk to them about, you know, w- would this make sense? Because we knew we didn't have grid electricity. So that, that, was an obvious that that kind of drove us to solar and the other thing was these clinics were remote and the children would come to the clinic that doesn't have overnight capability they can just make a referral to the hospital so where we started on this journey was working with the clinics initially and so we developed the first o2 prototype to fill these small oxygen cylinders that could be used by the parent or when I say ambulance driver, this is somebody like on a motor scooter, right? Or maybe a bicycle. Okay. This isn't again a Western ambulance, but so we wanted both solar and we wanted the ability to fill with small cylinders, not only so they could have oxygen at the clinic, but they could have oxygen in transit. So, so again, but the, the validation came through just literally knocking on doors and networking and meeting people. I had the opportunity, the last trip I made before the pandemic hit was to go to Barcelona in January of 2020. And I met literally dozens of these people face-to-face in Barcelona. It was the first pediatric pneumonia conference sponsored by the Gates Foundation. They, They funded it. So you build the relationships, you test it against your customers, and you begin to, you know, you begin to get validation that you're on the right track. Okay, so it sounded like to me there were two big parts of that. One was plugging into an existing community that was already involved in gaining knowledge about this problem and having some experience in the world with it. So finding out who do we already know that that has knowledge about this and seeking them out and learning from them. And then visiting the sites themselves, right? So you you visited clinics and you saw how they operated. And before when you said that you're, and I forgot the name already, the O2 cube, right? Oh, O2 cube. cube. That you use that to make oxygen in tanks as opposed to it just, you know, like living here in America. My daughter was a little bit premature and we had a uh, 
We had, uh, at times, the very large O2 tanks around the, our living room and, you know, the large, the long 25-foot oxygen tube and nasal cannula for her. Right. And then later we got an oxygen concentrator, right, that you just plug in and yeah. it, it, it grinds away, you know, making those yeah. little church compressor noises. And, but when you said you, ha- you use this to fill O2 tanks, I thought, oh, well, there's something more to this environment than that we need to understand because you chose that instead of just having your O2 cube run all the time. Right. So the, the ability to transport, the, the ability of transit, that was a key benefit and a key requirement that we saw. And to just maybe to take a next step and follow up on the, the, the idea of validating, in 2019, we entered an incubator called the Idea Foundry. And again, $10,000 of funding. And with that, in 2019, we did a project in Malawi with seven of these health centers, health clinics. We couldn't, we didn't have the funding to put an O2 cube there, but if you're familiar with pulse oximetry, those are the the devices you put on your fingertips and they tell you what your oxygen saturation levels are. So we did have enough money for that. And it was pretty, it was significant in that we were able to then over the course of six months, monitor the children that were arriving at these clinics and, and determine what percent were hypoxemic, meaning your mm. uh, oxygen saturation level is below 90%. Until we arrived there, and, the, and, and again, this was in Malawi, they didn't have pulse oximeters. So they, even mm. something simple, and again, I wish, you know, if we were on film, these are little devices that just clip on your fingertips, uh, right. fingertip, relatively unexpen- inexpensive, but they didn't have them. So we brought pulse oximetry to these healthcare centers and trained them in the operation of them. And that assisted in the diagnosis of pneumonia. It's one of the critical indicators that you're suffering from reduced lung function. And so that was our, really 2019, that was our step forward doing this pilot project in Malawi around pulse oximetry, but also talking to people and showing them what the O2 cube was going to do and kind of validated our, our direction. Yeah, you learn more about the environment through all that. And just to add some perspective to this, so, uh, you know, 19 years ago, my, my daughter was born, a pulse ox uh, meter was really important to us, right? And so the hospital sent us home with a loaner for, you know, a week or so. Um, and I looked around on eBay to see, can, can I buy, use one of these, right? Because knowing her oxygen levels was really important. And it, it was challenging to find one, right? And I think I found one used for $2,000. And by that point, we kind of felt like we were out of the woods. Like this was, we, 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 we knew other things to you know, monitor and it was okay. Today, I can go to Walmart and buy one for nineteen ninety nine. Yep. And I know there's NGOs distributing them for, you know, dollars, you know, that they pay for them and just how that has changed. And that that's a really important part of this puzzle is just, you know, knowing is, is this an issue, right? Is, is oxygen the issue before we see lips starting to turn blue, which is, you know, next bad thing that happens. And because we had that one happen once as well. So I, I'm wondering with this, the kind of the sense of pressure to... Right. So in a lot of our organizations, we're developing products. You in the past have developed products for manufacturing for factories. Right. So products that help mm-hmm. factories manufacture things. And, and as we're developing products, the pressure is usually on us to get something to market because we want to start generating revenue out of it for our organization. And so the, there's organizational pressure to get this done and competitive pressure for this product. I would think that pressure feels a whole lot weightier 
because every day that goes by, you know, there's kids dying that that otherwise might yeah. not die. And, and I don't want to frame it in such stark contrast, but I, I'm just wondering how that feels to you. Well, it does. And it's, you know, I, and I, you know, there's times it's pretty frustrating because I want things to move faster. And frankly, if you think, and we, and we fast forward to 2020, I went to that conference in January. Well, what else happened in 2020, right? COVID. Yep. And, and if anything, what COVID did was throw gasoline on the fire of the need for medical oxygen. And I think most people understand now. Yeah. There was a lot of talk about ventilators and putting, you know, t- uh, tubes down people's throat and, and assisting their breathing. But the step before that, is what's called supplemental oxygen. That's what we're providing via the oxygen cylinders. So the, the, as your lung function begins to diminish, what you really want to do is get people on supplemental oxygen. And it just became, and it's still scandalous around the world, the lack of oxygen, now just not for children, but for adults as well who have COVID. And their stories peruse one of the more famous ones where, you know, they literally just the whole country was out of oxygen, and there's a bit of a story, a backstory about that one. But, but COVID in 2020, you talk about a sense of urgency all of a sudden, right? Not only is it kids with pneumonia, it's people dying of COVID because you can't, they can't get medical oxygen. So in 2020, we we partnered with the University of Duquesne, and they gave us a student team, and with that, we took the out of the garage. And we built a functional freestanding prototype, you know, with the shroud and everything like that. So we moved from the garage and a bench, what I'll call a bench prototype, to 2020, where we went with, you know, with a freestanding prototype and just validated another, some other technical issues in, by building that by building that prototype. Okay. And now we're at the end of 2021. What, what's the state of the product now? So 2021 has really been our breakout year in March of 2021, we were recognized by the World Health Organization as an innovative health technology for low-resource nations. It's somewhat prestigious. There were, I think, 273 entries. Only 38 were recognized. We were one of the 38. So we're on the WHO website as as a, an, a new... We've created a completely new product category. There is no solar-powered mm-hmm. micro oxygen production. If you think of many people jokingly a little bit will say, you know, what you're doing is like, we're like a microbrewery. If you think of how beer is made and you have these massive uh, factories that produce millions of gallons of beer, you know, in uh, St. Louis or wherever, you know, we're on the other end. We're the, we're the microbrewery in that town because there are these huge plants in the city centers. So you have oxygen right. sometimes in the city centers. But when you get into the the, the outer rings of nations, the more rural areas, there is no. So, so we're, we created a completely new product category that the WHO recognized. In May, we signed the agreement with Philips to have the technology transfer that we can now manufacture and sell it. Then two months ago, we w- w- were finalists in a competition sponsored by the University of Pittsburgh. We were granted $50,000. And with that money, we are now engineering early stages of the commercial. We're actually using students on the University of Pittsburgh under supervision. So we were awarded $50,000 grant. And then last month, 
no, September, excuse me, we launched a crowdfunding campaign. And I, you know, would encourage people, or maybe I will give you a link, but we have a crowdfunding program to raise money. And we did, we've raised $50,000 to date where people, individuals can go in and invest in LeanMed. So mm-hmm. a lot going on. And then finally, what will happen in two weeks is we will turn on the first O2 cube at a, at a pediatric ward outside of Lagos, Nigeria. It's a 26-bed pediatric ward, and, you know, we'll use solar power to fill these oxygen cylinders. And I've told the team in Nigeria, you know, this will be the best Christmas present I've ever had in my life. That when I get that video clip that comes back or that photo that shows one of the children, you know, getting oxygen off a cylinder that was filled by an O2 cube. So we'll complete that this year. So 2021 has been kind of a remarkable year for us. Yeah, no doubt. A lot going on, right? As you said, your breakout year, the momentum has increased, sounds like 10x there this year. And just a note on timeline here, listeners, you are likely listening to this at the end of February, somewhere around that time frame, because we record ahead of time, but exciting year. And so this Nigeria placement of the pediatric ward should be up and running by the time you're listening. That crowdfunding campaign, Mark, will that still be ongoing? It probably will. We'll 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 kick off another round in early January, but I'll I'll let you know. But yeah, I I, I think we, I think it'll be running into February. So that would be terrific to 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 put the link so people can go to that particular yeah. web page. It, it's it's an interesting way because we have a social mission. We think we have the opportunity to get I'll call it the more socially motivated mission oriented people. So you can still invest in Lean Med for the financial return because we are a for-profit company and will return, you know, be a good investment for, for shareholders. But we also think people will want to invest because of the social mission that we're involved in and saving, saving lives. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is there, if there's one other thing, I don't know if, if, if it's of interest the notion of the MVP, a minimum viable product. There's a kind of a side story on that. Would should we? Would you like me to just talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Right, especially given the context of clear problem, existing technology to solve it. What constitutes an MVP that works in the environment where this is going to go? I think that's a big disconnect for right. a lot of people. Right. So I think it's kind of remarkable because most people, you know, again, because I teach in a bio, in a bioengineering department at Pitt around medical product innovation. And, you know, a lot of people will look at MVPs and coming out of the software industry. And sure, you can, you know, put up a web page and get a response. But when you're dealing with medical devices, oh boy, you know, how do you do an MVP? But what's really remarkable, this unit that's going into Nigeria actually is the working, in my mind, the working definition of an MVP. It does the job. <laughs> it's going to produce oxygen. It's going to save lives, but it's not the final product. Okay, mm-hmm. it's it's not, and and the the health facility knows that. But it will be operational. It will be able to be used by the clinicians there. But and without diagrams, it's probably a little hard to explain. But I I just wanted sometimes to break that maybe a myth or a perception that you can't just because you're in the medical device field you can't do MVPs we're you know we're kind of living proof of that because that's what's and we have we have shipments planned to to Senegal and Uganda that'll come in January and February again all with MVPs mm-hmm. for proof of concept 
and learning, right? Because that's what it's all about, right? So, you know, we can engineer. This is not, this is not putting a man on the moon. Trust me, this engineering task is fairly straightforward, but we have a lot to learn about the application of it and how it will be used and what do we, what are the unknown unknowns, right? Exactly. So that's what the MVP is all about. That's why we're going to have, we hope to have four or five sites running by early next year that are, that are the MVP. And then probably Q2 will go into commercial engineering, you know, given on what we've learned and bring the, the final commercial product to market in 2023. Perfect. Because my next question was going to be to you, well, what do you expect to learn from Nigeria and what are you going to do with that information, right? So this is the proof of concept, the MVP in action. And then what do we, we what changes need to be made to that to make it the viable product for much, many, much more clinics? Yeah, I, I mean, th- there's some assumptions that we're operating under. One yeah. is that the, the, the cl- on the clinical side, we have to get people comfortable with prescribing oxygen. Some of these clinics, they've never, they've never had access to oxygen. So they, you, the, the, the nurses and the, and the, and the, um, doctor or assistant doctors have to be comfortable using pulse oximetry and then prescribing oxygen. Second will be the this notion of what we'll do in Senegal where where we'll be in transit. So will how will it work when we give folks these small cylinders with two or three hours of oxygen? You know, will it, it support them? Will they be able to get to the referring hospital properly? We're always asked, are you going to get the cylinders back? Right? Or are they going to disappear into the ethosphere or whatever? So that's an assumption we have. We have some ideas on how we're going to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think, the, and then there's a third element that's coming on where what people like Phillips and the Gates Foundation are pushing hard. They've written a, a significant white paper that they want to see oxygen as a utility in the developing world, meaning just like you pay for gas, electric and water, Instead of asking healthcare facilities to buy capital equipment, put it in and support it technically, why not set smaller entrepreneurial companies that can sell oxygen pay as you go? And so we're working with, we have four different companies we're working with right now in different four different nations where they will buy, they will be our customer. They will buy the O2 cube and then they will be selling oxygen cylinders to clinics and healthcare centers or even high net worth individuals. So we're very excited about the emergence. It's almost a new set of customers for us. And so that's part of the testing we're going to do in Uganda and Senegal because they're, they're, they're going to be actually selling oxygen to the healthcare facilities at a, at a much significantly lower price in a much more reliable way than they get it today. Awesome. Lots of growth opportunities for meeting the needs of the problem of just having medical O2 available in places where it's not now. And a lot of growth for uh, potential for your company as well, LeanMed. And I think it will just be fascinating once you have the proof of concepts out in a few places, all that you learn. I did a little bit of work with the nonprofit, with their product management team, and they were looking at trying to solve the A problem of access to water in their world areas, right? And Mm -hmm. part of their site Mm -hmm. surveys, because there's lots of ways to solve that problem, right? Can you put it in a well? Can you put it in filtering equipment for the lagoons? Can you do something even lower tech where the filter, you just filter the water that's brought from the lagoons in, in the house and filter there? And one thing they discovered was on their site surveys, you know, a, a you know, m- many tens of thousands of dollars well that was put in by another NGO that is sitting there not in use because of a 20 cent fuse. 
right? Literally, a, a fuse that went out yeah. on the equipment. No one knows how to troubleshoot it. We can't yep. find that 20-step fuse there. It's like, okay, well, what what is the right approach for that right area, you know, given the resources they have? And that context matters, and it matters in any product, right? Not just medical products. Um, and you'll learn a lot through the proof of concept to know what are the right next steps to take. So I appreciate you sharing that journey with us. Um, I'm sure it's been a personal uh, journey of growth as well, you know, being the CEO of the company and things that you have gone through. And that's all, all really exciting. And wish you and the company all the best in getting this very important product out, O2Cube. Listeners, we will, of course, have links uh, in the show notes, and you'll find those at productmasterynow.com slash 369. So you can find out more about this story. And if it's a story that you would like to support, I would encourage you to do so. Go check out their crowdfunding campaign. We'll link to that. Also, Mark, as you know, you've been here before. We like an innovation quote around this place. What do you have for us? And tell us what that means to you. Yeah, I think what I'll give you is a three-word kind of quote. It's now our tagline. We talk about mission-driven innovation. And the background of that is I've done product development and innovation my entire life. But in this last decade, as I've become more involved in healthcare it's just so clear to me that innovation is just this incredible tool that can make the world a better place and save lives literally by the hundreds of thousands. So we're all about, you know, innovation, but mission-driven innovation. I like that. And I think that connects with more and more people in, in today's society too, right? The, the products that we make have a deeper mission behind them. And this one clearly does. So mission-driven innovation. Good thing to be aligned with. Thanks for sharing that. We'll have links for more resources, but tell us where's the best place to go to learn about what, what Lean Med, Med is up to. You can you could go to the web, our website, which is www.leanmedinnovation.com. Lean Med Innovation. Yeah. And then the WeFunder site, actually, you can go to www.wefunder.com slash leanmed. And that'll take you to our uh, fundraising page, which has a lot of information on the company. And you can you can learn about us in either place uh, and follow us on LinkedIn. (laughs) Excellent. Good. So leanmedinnovation.com for the company. And then the crowdfunding site is wefunder.com slash leanmed. Yep. Excellent. Mark, thank you so much. Thank you for uh, your work in this. I know you've had a variety of roles, and I, I would think it's personally exciting to, you know, as a fellow instructor of university courses on product management, this would kind of be my dream, right, to have a team team come along that we can turn into something real. And I bet that's very rewarding uh, for you to be part of this uh, too. And I appreciate you sharing the story with us. And thank you, Chad, for having me. Thank you for the work you do in terms of advancing the profession of product innovation and product management. And it was great to see you again. Great. Take care, Mark. Listeners, for those detailed show notes, please go check out productmasterynow.com slash 369. And as always, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.